Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. The bishop will breathe the Holy Spirit into the sacred oil, the chrism, that's going to be used for the whole year for his flock for every healing sacrament in the church. And he breathes into it his own breath, which is the Holy Spirit, and anoints the oil for the whole year that will be used in every healing sacrament. This is a good shepherd. He's got oil for his sheep to anoint us. The breath of the Spirit of God. Here's Pope Benedict breathing the Holy Spirit into the chrism oil. Here's Pope Francis breathing the Holy Spirit into the healing chrism oil that will anoint us in the sacraments of healing. Now, we have a very good shepherd in Omaha, a very good shepherd, but he needs our prayers because he's got a large flock and a big responsibility to us and to God, and he needs our help. A lot of sheep have wandered from the fold and are in danger especially if they're picked off and isolated, especially if they're under wrong teaching, if they're not under the authority that Jesus Christ gave us. Our shepherds can't go at it alone. Look at how large his flock is. He needs hirelings. He needs help. He needs us. Every baptized person is a priest, prophet, and king. Pope Paul VI said that the church exists to evangelize. Who have you brought to the flock? Who have you helped get home? Who's been lost and you help find them and bring them back and welcome them with open, loving arms? Psalm 23, verse 3 says, He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. Well, a good shepherd always has waters, baptismal waters, ready to baptize in the scriptures at the drop of a hat. When someone has a conversion, they, they, can, can I be baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch comes to mind. Waters that restore the soul living water that brings salvation. Also, you anoint my head with oil. What's that? That's that chrism oil that was breathed into. And, and when you were confirmed, the bishop anointed you with oil. If you smell it again, it brings back all the memories. And in that healing chrism oil of the good shepherd were all the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. And it was healing. And he says, my cup overflows. Where does that happen? At mass. The Eucharistic wine, the blood of Christ never runs out. For centuries, we've never run out of Eucharistic wine because these good shepherds can transubstantiate by what? The power of the Holy Spirit. It's a healing sacrament for us, the sheep. He feeds us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want you prepare a feast for me, a banqueting feast. A table is spread every time we go to Mass. Sheep like quiet water. They like to drink at still water. Still waters run deep. The sheep love still water. They love being watered from a well because it's even less work for them. If someone draws up the water and waters them, they like that even better. So many wells in the Middle East, many shepherds watering their flocks. They love the still water of a well. And they get very agitated when fast-moving streams come along. They don't like fast-moving water. It agitates them. And they hate to cross deep water. Hate it. Hate it. So a good shepherd will put rocks down. He'll go pick up all these rocks and make a thing where they can ford across on rocks so they're not so scared. 
And, but that takes a lot of energy and a lot of time for the shepherd, but that's a good shepherd. Sometimes that's not possible and they just have to cross. And so the favored sheep get right up by the, by the shepherd. And when he goes, they go and they don't, you know, they just trust him and he goes, they go, but some hold back and they're scared. And if you hold back and you don't go, ah, they're stranded. They're on the other side going, Oh no, he's gone. I mean, they got to go when he goes, they got to go. And if they don't, they get carried downstream and, and they might make it to the side, but if they don't, he'll jump in and save them because he's a good shepherd. So the stragglers who hesitate are in trouble. And this is true. When they get over to the other side of the stream, the lambs actually start leaping with joy that they made it across. Oh, and you made it across too? And so did you? Oh, and they all run and gather together and they frolic around the shepherd. And it's like they want to express their thanks to him. Isn't that beautiful? Now this gives scriptures. There are shepherd scriptures throughout the entire Bible and it gives a new meaning because here's an Isaiah passage. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Can you see that now? So our shepherd helps us get through the deep waters of life. They're there. A good shepherd is there for his sheep. Now the Lord said to Moses to anoint Joshua. And so Moses pours what on his head? Oil. Anointing oil of what? The Holy Spirit. He's going to be a new shepherd. Jesse's son, David, was his shepherd. Usually the youngest boy in the family gets to be the shepherd. And most of these poor Middle Eastern families are farmers. And so the older sons have to move to farming duties like sowing and plowing and harvesting. And the youngest boy gets the job of being the shepherd. So Jesse had eight sons. And Samuel comes to anoint one of them king of Israel. The Lord has told him to go. He sent from God to anoint one of Jesse's sons as kings. And he says, are all your sons here? Is this all you got? And, and he says, well, there's one more little one. He's out in the field. He's a shepherd. Oh, please bring him. And that was the one. That was the one God wanted to anoint as the greatest king of all of Israel. Other shepherds of Israel from the southern kingdom of Judah, these lucky shepherds that were in the region keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were so afraid. The angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you glad tidings of great news for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's going to be a sign. You'll find a child wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great multitude of angels in the sky. Can you imagine these shepherds out in the middle of nowhere? Podunk Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth. Peace among those whom he favors. You shepherds among those that he favors. I'm going to show you something tonight. The face of God. You're going to be the first to see him. And they go. Just as the angel said he was there. The light of Christ. The light of the world had entered. And these poor, dirty, unclean, richly unclean. They couldn't wash. They couldn't do all the Jewish laws. They couldn't keep them all out in the field. That's who God chose to show himself to first of all people on the face of the earth, these shepherds. God had a great love for these humble young men, and he showed his face to them first of all humanity other than his parents. Can you imagine being there that night and being a lowly shepherd? My, would you have a story to tell? 
And shepherds have always been just loved in art. Some of the first paintings in the catacombs, this is at St. Callistus outside of Rome, the good shepherd. This image is all over Rome. And this statue is all over Rome, the good shepherd. Now, Jesus says tonight, very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. So a good shepherd always put his sheep in a safe place at night. He's not going to abandon them. He's not going to leave them. He's going to make sure they're safe because there are people out, things out to get them, predators, coyotes, foxes, bobcats, bears, mountain lions, all are predators of sheep. Remember in Matthew 10, when Jesus is sending them out and he says, see, I'm sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. Be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them. They're going to hand you over to the councils. They're going to flog you in their synagogues. Who's going to do that? The Pharisees, the Sadducees. It was corrupt. So aside from natural predators like coyotes, you got to also watch out for robbers and thieves and bandits. And I thought, I wonder if this still happens today. So I went to Jerusalem newspaper online at March 216, three Arabs convicted of sheep theft, sentenced to three years in jail. They stole 60 sheep. Yeah, this is done. People try to steal your sheep at night. So the shepherd would make a temporary pen to pen all them in at night, and it had one way in and one way out, and he laid across. He laid across the only way to get in, the only way to get out. These are temporary ones. They would put thorns and briars on the top so wolves couldn't jump over, or bandits. If they were out in the desert and there was nothing, they'd grab thorn bushes and make a ring, and all the sheep would go in there, and he'd lay across the opening. There were some more permanent ones. If it was a place where a lot of shepherds graze their sheep year-round, they might make stone ones, permanent ones, four to five feet high on the sunny side of the valley. They would stay there all the time, these permanent sheep pens. They only had one entrance. See that one little entrance there? All the sheep would go in and, and sleep in there together for the night. Sometimes they'd put a ring of thorns on the top so that nothing could, like barbed wire almost. So Jesus refers to this type of sheep pen today about thieves and robbers climbing in over the wall. So what happened? He'd get all his sheep in there at night, and then he'd lay across the opening. Nothing's getting in, nothing's going out, because I'm here to guard this sheep pen. And sometimes it was a larger one, and many flocks would come together. Maybe there were three shepherds grazing three different flocks, and they'd all use this big one at night. They'd all come together, and then the shepherds would alternate and take watch over their flocks by night. So Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in another way is a thief and abandoned. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper, that's something different. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Who's the gatekeeper? That's a different person. Traditionally, we've been taught that the gatekeeper is the father. No one can come to me unless the father call him. But the Greek word used in that verse is thyroros, which means doorkeeper. It's a servant who attends to what comes in and what goes out, particularly a door to the kingdom. Now, if that's the case, it would, it's the same verb used here in Mark 13. It's like a man going on a journey. He leaves home. He puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Who could this be? This gatekeeper. When Jesus ascends back to the Father, he's going to leave some gatekeepers behind. He knows he's leaving. He's going out of there. He's going to have some servants that will watch. And he gives them 
on that night of his resurrection in John 20, 20, he gives them the power to loose and bind, to forgive or retain sins. So they will be gatekeepers. We see Peter as the gatekeeper of the pearly gates. What sins you forgive are forgiven them. What sins you retain are held retained, are held bound. That's a gatekeeper. Sometimes more than one shepherd was in the grazing region. And so if there was a permanent pen nearby and evening was falling, the flocks would come together for the night in one of these larger pens with the stone walls. So listen to this. When he had brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger. They will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he's trying to say to them. Do you guys understand what he's trying to say? When he has brought all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. Sheep like to follow. That is their nature. They are followers. They want the shepherd in front where they can see him. They're not like cattle. Cattle want to be driven. Sheep don't like that. They follow. They don't want to be driven. They follow. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger. They'll run. They don't know the voice of the stranger. What's he saying here? If you go to Bethlehem, outside of Bethlehem is the shepherd's field, and there are all these permanent caves, and it's where they would put the sheep at night. They'd all climb in these different caves and sleep in there, and the shepherd would lie across. But in the morning, when you needed to get your flock out and separate it from the other flocks, the sheep knew the voice of that shepherd, and he'd call them, whatever his little sound is, you know, for his flock. They know him immediately. They hear his voice, and they all run to him. And another shepherd does his call, and they all go to him. And they just know. They know their shepherd. And the shepherd knows them. If one goes the wrong direction, and, and they're back. They're back with their, their shepherd. So each shepherd knew his own sheep, and they knew him. That's how particular Jesus' love is for you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. Better than you know yourself, he knows you. He created you. He loves you into existence. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him. They don't know the voice of a stranger. Again, Jesus said to them, they're not getting it. So he says, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. That's that gate where there's one way in. He's the gate. He's it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That'll be another I am statement. But he's the gate. There's one way in. There's one way into heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep didn't listen to them. We know the original thief is the one who took our identity in the garden, Satan, Lucifer. Who are these bandits? He says, I'm the gate. He says it again. Whoever enters by me will be saved, and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but I have come that they might have life and have it to the abundance, have it to the fullest. The thief comes only to steal and kill. He wanted us to eat death from another tree, the tree of knowledge of evil. Jesus came that we might have life. He only wanted to feed us life. He is only a gospel of life. He's eternal life. He's life, 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 life. Did you get that? He's life. There's no death in God, none. He conquered it, smashed it, crushed it. There's no death in him ever. He's the good shepherd. He wants us to have that. Now, last year we learned about all those false shepherds in Ezekiel. But he says, I'm the good shepherd. He reversed that prophecy. He fulfilled it. He's the good shepherd. 
He's gonna, he says, I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he will do that. And they don't get it yet. Why? Because they haven't seen this yet. He's going to lay down his life for the sheep. And he is the way back to the Father. He's going to open the gates of heaven. He's the only way back. The hired hand, this is another character he's introducing. This is someone different. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Hmm, who's the hired hand? The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. See this coyote eating the sheep back here and the hired hand's running away? What would the good shepherd do? Lay down his life for the sheep. He would die for the sheep rather than have a coyote eat it. This hired hand didn't care about the sheep. It's like the babysitter you left with your kids tonight. They don't care about your kids. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) You're the good parent. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's statue? Gold, silver, bronze, iron. Each was a different kingdom that was coming to replace the other. Remember the iron and clay at the very bottom, the mixed feet? And we figured out in Revelation that was Rome and the Jewish aristocracy working together in cahoots. Remember that? The feet of iron and clay. Rome and Jewish aristocracy in cahoots conspiring together secretly to take down Jesus in cahoots. Well, before Rome, it was Greece. And there were those Jewish aristocracy that were in cahoots with Greece. And some of them were called Sadducees. And this is when the Sadducees arose. The Sadducees weren't that old, and they didn't last that long. In 167 BC, Greek soldiers arrived in Modin, Israel. And the Greeks demanded that the Jews sacrifice pigs to Greek gods. And the elder of the town, Matthias, of the priestly class, refused. He said, we will not do it. It's in 1 Maccabees. I and my sons, my brothers, we live by the covenant of our fathers. We will not obey the Greek king's words. And a civil war starts because some of the Jews were willing to do it. And Matthias kills another Jew. It's a civil war at first. And that leads, that starts the Maccabean revolt. It's a civil war followed by Matthias and his five sons who join him, and they head for the hills. And in the hills, they know those hills well, and they know every nook and cranny of that land, and the Greeks don't. And so they organize a guerrilla army that's going to fight the Greeks, and they fight the Greeks for 25 years in that fashion until the Greeks finally reach a peace agreement with the Jews. And when that happens, the Jews get their independence back for a brief time. They hadn't had independence for 400 years And Jewish sovereignty was again over the land of Israel for a short time. But that oldest son, Judah Maccabee, he is the one who started at that very first time when they rededicated the temple of God. They took it back, and that was the first Hanukkah. It's in tonight's lesson. John 10 is the feast of dedication of the temple, a rededication. And they didn't have enough oil. They just had enough oil, Holy Spirit, for one night. And how long did that oil last? Eight nights. It was a miraculous miracle. It's called Hanukkah. Now, Judah Maccabee, that oldest son, that name means the hammer. Maccabee means the hammer. He was the oldest of five sons. It's their family nickname, the hammer. And they had 12,000 men on their side, and the Greeks had up to 40,000 men. They were way outnumbered. And the hammer is also an acronym in Hebrew that means, who is like you among the powers, O God? Who is like thee, O God? And so they took that nickname, Maccabees, which means the hammer, but their real family name was Hasmoneans. So it's a little confusing when you read the Maccabees, because they are the Hasmonean dynasty, and they're the Maccabees family. 
Hammer is their nickname. So at their greatest extent, they took over all that territory of Israel. And it didn't take long. The fifth son, on the fifth son, Simon, he's the last survivor of Matthias's sons. And in the first year of Simon, that youngest son, he makes himself the great high priest and commander and leader of the Jews. Well, there's a problem with that. They're not of Aaronic descent. He can't be the high priest by Jewish Torah. He is the youngest son. He breaks with Torah and declares himself the high priest. That was a problem. And soon that Hasmonean dynasty became very corrupt. They go in and invade Idumea. And what they do when they conquer that land is they force all the Amudians to become Jewish. Now, someone had done that to them in years past. Other people that had conquered them tried to assimilate them, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, remember? Now they're going to try that. Simon's son, John Hyrcanus, tries to force all the people of those lands that they captured to become Jewish. Does forced conversion work well, folks? Have you tried it with your kids? Out of this time, at this time is when the Pharisees and Sadducees arose. They didn't exist before this. And the Sadducees have a lot of money. And a lot of them are temple, ruling in the temple. They're the aristocrats. And they're educated. And they're enlightened. And they don't believe in the resurrection anymore. (laughs) Right? Because they're so enlightened. All the Jews always believed in that. Not the Sadducees. That's why they're sad, you see. (laughs) They were one of the three main political religious groups. And they had a conservative outlook, but they would only accept written law. So they said, any oral law of you Pharisees, any of these 613 Mishnah law, we're not doing it. We'll only accept written law. And they conquest, John Hyrcanus takes over a lot of territory and does forced Jewish conversions. Now, Idumea in Hebrew is, guess what? Edom. And guess what? They're Edomites. Oh, you guys are such good students because I see you shaking your heads. You know who the Edomites are. Who are the Edomites? Who's their father? Esau, the first Edomite in the Bible. Esau and Jacob were brothers. He's tricked for the birthright and the blessing. And and there's blood, blood between them. And they go off to the rugged Edomite country and become red, rugged Edomites. And this is who John Hyrcanus has captured and is forcing them to become Jews. And that cost him dearly because guess what? One of the converts he made was a man named... Herod. And so thus begins the Herodian dynasty that's ruling at the time of Christ that kills all the babies, martyrs all the babies when Jesus is little. Herod the Great will marry a Hasmonean princess. He will murder her and all her family. And he only gets into that Hasmonean dynasty by marriage. And then he'll end up killing all of them that are left. And he'll be make a new, he's in cahoots now with Rome at this time. And he will make the Herodian dynasty. Now, why do I tell you all that? That's what's happening at the time of the Christ. Those are the hired hands who don't care a lick about the sheep. They're corrupt. They're in cahoots. They're terrible. The hired hand who is not the sheep and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. And the hired hand runs away because he's a hired hand. He didn't care for the sheep. These guys don't care. They just want the temple. They want to be the bigwigs. They want to be have the money. They want to run, the, get the temple tax. They want to be in cahoots with Rome. They just care about their own skin. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. They don't belong to this fold. I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. He wants one flock. And one shepherd. He commands that here. 
He doesn't want 48,000 different dominations. He wants one flock with one shepherd. Now, the other sheep have a name, and what is their name? What's the other flock he's after? Ah, the Gentiles. That's right, the Gentile flock. That's who he's talking about. And for this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life in order to take it up again. Because he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to lay down his life and he's going to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord and I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. He's predicting his resurrection there, his death and resurrection. I've received this command from my Father. This is part of the Father's plan. They don't get it. He's talking in figures. They don't get a thing what he's saying. But we do. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. And many of them were saying, well, he has a demon. He's out of his mind. Why listen to him? And others were saying, these aren't the words of a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind like he did last chapter when he healed the blind man born from birth? It was a festival of dedication. The Feast of the Maccabees. The Feast of Hanukkah. Jesus is walking in the portico of Solomon. Beautiful place where he loved to go. And many of the Levites resided there, doctors of the law. They could hear and answer questions. They could discuss. They could spar. It was a place he liked to go often. And the Jews gathered around him and said, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, just tell us plainly. And Jesus said, I have told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. You don't believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Oh, did you hear that? Because a lot of evangelicals use that as an apologetic that you can never, ever, ever lose your salvation. If you said Jesus is Lord on March 13th at 3 in the afternoon, then you can never be snatched out of his hand. He says it right here. Is that true? What if you wander away? What if you get isolated? What if you get picked off? What if you get scabbed? What if you start sinning? And you get trapped in sin and you can't stop. He wants us all in the palm of his hand. He doesn't want us to get snatched out. He wants us there. He wants our kids there. You want your kids there. You want your loved ones there. You want your spouses there. You want your neighbors there, right? So does he. But he gives us freedom. He gives us freedom. He wants us to stay in the flock. That's where we're safe because he's the good shepherd. What my father has given me is greater than all else. No one can snatch it out of the father's hand. The father and I are one. All of us, all of us, all of us, like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Oh, good shepherd Jesus, we praise and thank you. We thank you for your love for us, your care for us. We thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you laid down your life for each and every one of us. We pray for all the sheep in our family that have wandered from the fold. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring them back, that you would put other sheep in their path that would be joy and patience and love and gentleness, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit that you filled us with, with that oil that you poured over our head at our baptism and our confirmation. We thank you, Good Shepherd, for opening, for being the gate and for opening that doorway back to the Father. Thank you for the gatekeepers, the priests and bishops. Thank you, Father, for beckoning us. Thank you for keeping us safe in the flock. Help us always stay near to you, Good Shepherd. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 10, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.